All right, folks, what I'd like you to do is I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 25. And so we have been going through Romans trying to understand our faith, trying to understand what we believe. And so I just want to make some some opening comments before I get into what Paul's going to tell us that I think is going to help us. You know, we've been looking at what we believe. Now, when I, when I talk about what we believe, we've looked at the reality that all of humanity is condemned, that there is salvation through Christ, and with that, he justifies us. It's not about us, it's about him. And there is victory. We're, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. But there's also a reality. We kind of addressed it last week. The reality is, is that the power of sin, while we are no longer in bondage to it, can have an influence in our life. Can basically wreak havoc in our lives. And it's something that all of us deal with. And, and, and it's a reality that, I'll be honest with you, defeats us. I find that as I deal with people and talk with people, whether it's in a discipleship relationship or just an offhand conversation, if we get to the thing that they're struggling with, almost always it's about sin of some type. They don't necessarily need to tell me what it is. I don't need to know what it is. But what they tell me is is that it defeats them. They are defeated by it. And sometimes the defeat that they are experiencing is not just because of the sin, it's because of the wrong concepts that they hold in their, in their mind about what Christianity is. What do you mean the wrong concepts? What I mean is, is that sometimes we have this perception that as Christians, we're supposed to be perfect. That when you come to Jesus and you are a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to do no wrong again. Yes, you make mistakes or you slip up, but the reality is is that for you to be struggling with something for years, and sometimes, let's be honest, the things that we struggle with, we struggle with them for years. We're not talking a couple of weeks here. There are issues that you're aware of that you are always struggling with, We think there's something wrong with us. We're the only one in all of Christendom that hasn't got it together because don't you know when you come to Christ and you are forgiven, you're supposed to be perfect? At least that's what we're presenting ourselves as, isn't it true? When we come to church, we're supposed to look like we got it together? We don't. Let's be honest, right? We don't. We walk in here with our baggage. We walk in here with our struggles. We walk in here discouraged, defeated. And sometimes the defeat is because we have this wrong perception of what Christianity is. Now, the interesting thing is, is that when you look at our faith, when you understand our faith, and especially when you get to chapter 7, we're talking about the Apostle Paul who wrote more than half of the New Testament and influenced other writers of the New Testament. And and the reality is, is that he's going to express 
this very same struggle that you and I have in our everyday lives, he had it. And it frustrated him. And you begin to realize, and hopefully this is what's going to happen as we look at this, you begin to realize it isn't just me. I'm not the only one. And so, by the way, can I tell it to you? You're not the only one who's struggling. The enemy wants to come to you and say to you, Satan wants to come to you and say to you that you're the only one that this is happening with. Everybody else is doing okay except you. He likes isolation. Isolation is what he thrives in, is you being isolated from the family of God. But when the family of God realizes that we're all what? Sinners saved by grace and that we all struggle and that we all have our things that we're dealing with, there's actually strength there to encourage you to what? As the writer of Hebrews would say, lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. Press on. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the internal struggle that you and I have. Because we're going to look at Paul's internal struggle. We're going to look at the wrestling match that he went to. And as we read these together, you're going to say, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah, man, I have been there. Yes, I am wrestling with the same thing. I have gone through that many times. I've wondered, I've wondered, I've asked. And you're going to see the words of Paul. And you're going to say, yeah, those are my words. So look with me. We're going to look at verses 13 through 25. Here's what Paul writes. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, for everything, but, everything, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, 
Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Can you resonate with him? When he sits there and says, the good that I want to do, I don't do, but the very thing that I don't want to do anymore, I just keep on doing it. Sounds like you and I, right? If we were honest with ourselves. Why? It's the internal struggle that all of us have. Every single one of us has. And here is the apostle expressing it and, and, and laying out before us his struggle here. So what can we do? We can look at this and we're going to try to understand it. So we're going to basically divide this into uh, three sections. We're going to see, first of all, who's to blame. Isn't that where we are today? We always got to find somebody to blame, right? Who's to blame? We're going to look then at the battle, this internal struggle, and then finally we're going to come to Paul's perspective. And hopefully when we come to the perspective, it will bring us to a place of freedom to keep going on. Okay? So let's talk about who's to blame. The first thing I want you to notice with me, look at verse 13. He says this, referring back to what he talked about earlier, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So what's he talking about here, George? Well, when you begin there, did that which is good bring death to me? So what he's talking about, that which is good. Well, he just referred to that earlier as being the law of God. So then is the law of God evil? Because when I look at the law of God and what it's telling me to do, I don't want to do that. What it's telling me not to do, I do want to do. Obviously, the law then must be the problem. And so what he's saying here is, no, it's not the problem. In fact, here's the point I want you to see. You can't blame your sinning on something else. You can't blame your sinning on something else. When you look at the thing that you're struggling with, you can't blame the law. Well, if I hadn't have known that I wasn't supposed to do that, now you can't say that. So if I get pulled over, I've used the illustration of speeding, if I get pulled over by the town, town police officer here or, or by a state trooper and, and he says, you know, sir, were you aware that you're speeding and you were going this far over? I, I can't just say to him, you know, that's the problem. The problem is, is we have a speed limit. How far am I going to get with him? Not very far at all. If anything, it might irritate him and I might have a bigger problem, right? Do you know what I'm saying? I know that I'm going to lose money. Depends on how much I'm going to lose, right? See, this is the issue. You can't blame your stuff on somebody else. But this is where we live today, right? We like blame shifting. When you look at the sin you're struggling with, we, we go through all kinds of wrestling matches. Well, you know, it's because, you know, it's the trauma from my past. It's because of what this happened to me. And while that may be true to a point, that's not true every time. You can't say it's somebody else. It's my spouse's fault that I did this. 
It's my boss's fault that I did this. It's my co-worker's fault. It's my children's fault. No, folks, it's not even the church's fault. It's you. You made a choice. You made a decision as a believer in Jesus Christ. The power of sin has been broken. You have the ability and the power now to say no. But here's the thing. You choose what? Not to say no. Why? Because the desires within your members, within your flesh, are overwhelming. And so you just give in. So you can't blame somebody else for your sinning. Look now what he says in verse 14. He says this in verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of flesh sold under sin. Here's what I want you to see. The issue is you and the desires of your body. So it's not somebody else. It's not somebody else and what they said or didn't say or what they did or didn't do. It's not the law and what it's telling you not to do or it's telling you to do. That's not the issue. The issue is you and the desires of your flesh. Have you noticed that? All you got to do is just be with a group of people. And, and for some people... You know, you can go to a go to a restaurant and man, have a wonderful dish there, and have have like I, I know sometimes when when I go out to eat with a family and we go somewhere and they offer coleslaw, my wife loves coleslaw. She loves coleslaw. She's attracted to coleslaw. I'm not. In fact, I give her my coleslaw. Do you understand what I'm saying? It has no appeal to me. My body doesn't crave. I'm not here thinking, oh, wow, lunch is coming soon. Has she got coleslaw in the fridge? No, I'm not thinking that. I'm not thinking potato salad. I'm not thinking any of those things. Do you understand? My wife enjoys those things. We're different. So, for instance, so if we had a discussion here about the stuff that you struggle with, here's what you're going to find. Even if we kept it in vague terms, while there may be similarities in the things that we struggle with as far as sin, it's unique to you. Because the issue isn't the temptation, the issue is your desires. And while one thing may tempt you and appeal to your desires, that same thing wouldn't tempt or appeal to somebody else in the room. The issue is you. You understand? If you're looking for somebody to blame, look at you. And you're bent. And the desires that have been trained up in your body. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? So who's to blame? Is there, so with that, he goes into a realization of this battle, this internal struggle that's going on. And we see that in verses 15 through 20. And here's what I want you to see. First of all, look with me at verse 15. Here's what he says. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Here it is, the first thing. Here's the reality. 
there is a lack of understanding concerning why we do what we do. There's a lack of understanding. Have you ever, I mean, seriously, have you ever got up in the morning and said, this is it, today's the day, I'm going to overcome this issue, I am not going there, I am not doing this, I am not giving in to that desire or that craving, and then the day goes on, and you're just going about your normal whatever, and by the end of the day, you're looking back on your day, and you're thinking, how did that happen? Why did I do that? What's going on here? I told myself this morning I wouldn't do it. But guess what? We're like the apostle here, right? Notice what the apostle says. I do not understand my own actions. Can you resonate with him? Is that not where we are as a people? When you think about the thing that is wrecking havoc in your own life, when you look at, forget about, your, the, the, one of the things is we like to say, well, I'm not as bad as somebody else. Forget about that. Who cares about somebody else? We're talking about you and where you should be and why you're defeated. And, and the reality is, is when you look at your actions and you realize, man, I don't know why I'm doing this. The very thing I don't want to do, I'm doing. That which I want to do, I don't do. What's going on? This is what the apostle is saying here. This is the battle. This is the battle. In fact, here's what we want you to see. We find ourselves doing the exact opposite of what we want to do. He explains that in verses 15 through 16. We find ourselves doing the exact opposite of what we want to do. All the time. I mean, seriously, if we, we went around the room right now and we said to each other, hey, <clears throat> you want to overcome sin in your life? Everybody would be, yeah, in agreement. We're not, I'm not even going to ask that. Show of hands. Who wants to do that? No, don't do that. Because everybody here wants to overcome their stuff. But the problem is, we find ourselves doing the exact opposite of what we want to do. Especially if you are wanting to live for the Lord. If you're wanting to walk with Him. And you're wanting to be the person that He wants you to be. And the reality is, there it is, in big letters in your life, stop. But here's what, you can't stop. And you don't know what you're doing. You don't know why you're doing it. In fact, when you get to verse 17, here's what he says in verse 17. So now... It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. What is going on here? So when we do what we don't want to do, sin has taken control. We've, we've put ourselves back in to bondage. Remember, Christ broke the power of sin in your life. He freed you from the slavery of sin. You now have the ability to say no. But the problem is, is this struggle that we're in where we keep on doing what we know we shouldn't be doing. What we're doing is, is we are putting ourselves back into what? 
bondage. We're putting ourselves back into chains. Now here's the problem. The problem is for some of us, you've just given up. You've just learned to cope. What do you mean cope, George? You've given up on the struggle. You've given up. There's no sense. Why am I doing this? I keep doing the wrong thing. So here's what you do. You just learn to cope in your life with your sin. You've just learned to live with it. Because the battle's too intense and you are defeated and you just don't want to be there anymore. So you just give in. Again and again. There's not even an effort anymore. So then look with me at 8, verses 18 to 20. He brings out a reality. And this is what you and I need to come to because this is so anti-cultural. Here's what he says in verse 18 through 20. <clears throat> For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now it is no longer what I do not want. It is now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. All right, here's the reality. We have to recognize that our bodies with its desires are corrupt. Now here's the problem today in North American culture. We have this concept, and some of you have bought into this, that basically we're all good people. We're basically born good. And with that, we think that we're good, and so therefore we can just do what's good. But the problem is, I'm going to tell you, you're not good. You weren't born good. You were born corrupted. What do you mean I was born corrupted? You were born in sin. Sin was passed down to you as it has been for every generation since Adam and Eve. How do you know that, George? Well, think about it. Those of you who have kids, those of you who have grandkids, have you noticed that when there are toddlers and they are walking and so forth and they are adjusting as two and three, one, two, three years old, even four and five. Have you noticed that you are not teaching them to lie? They just kind of pick that up on their own. Have, have you noticed that you are not teaching them to be selfish? Mine! Mine! Some as adults are doing that still, right? Mine! You're, you're not teaching them those things. Where did that come from? That comes from the essence of who they are. They are corrupted. You're not teaching them to hit or to steal stuff from the other kid. I wanted that, not them. You know what I'm saying? You're not, nobody's teaching them that. That's not in the curriculum of any school or preschool. That's not in your homes. You're not reading books put out by Christian publishers on how to make your kids bad. It comes natural. But yet it continues on forever. You inhabit a body of flesh, corrupted. And therefore, the things that you don't want to do, you do. And the very things that you know you should be doing, you don't do. 
You say, wow, George, holy cow. That's what's going on with me. I thought you were going to help me get over this so that I can still feel not defeated because you just explained what's going on and I feel even more defeated now because it just seems meaningless. No, it's not meaningless. Realizing what's going on with you, because that's what we just talked about, is realizing what's going on within each of us as believers, the struggle. Realizing what's going on is the first step to understanding how to live with it. And so Paul now gives us a perspective from his own life that I hope that you and I learn from. What's the perspective? Well, look with me at verse 21. Notice what he says, verse 21 to 23. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my own inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. All right, so what's going on here, George? Well, first thing I want you to see is, is that spiritual maturity is recognizing the ongoing struggle with sin. Spiritual maturity is recognizing the ongoing struggle. The fact that you recognize that which I want to do, I don't do, that which I don't want to do, I do, and there's this struggle, I'm always defeated. The very first thing you've got to recognize is, is that's part of spiritual maturity, is recognizing there's this battle going on. There's, there's these two laws. He described it as there's the law of God that I want to follow and it brings life, but there's a law within my members, within my body, that is my desires. If I give in to them, then it's just going to lead to wrong and death. And so spiritual maturity is recognizing, can I be honest with you, that the struggle that we have between doing what's right and what's wrong, that's just part of life. As long as you live in this fleshly body, until you go to be with Jesus, this is life. This is life. It's recognizing the ongoing struggle. So the battle for some of us with weight, it's going to be a battle. So the battle for some with drinking is going to be a battle. Have you noticed that when you go to a 12-step program, they're very clear in letting you know it's not like something you can wipe away and go back to the way you were before you started drinking. It's an ongoing struggle. So Paul then brings it to what you and I have expressed. Look with me at verse 24 and verse 25. He says this. Wretched man that I am. Or wretched woman, right? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So spiritual maturity is realizing I inhabit a body of flesh that is always wanting to do what's wrong. It's desiring things that I don't want to do. That which I don't want to do, I do. That which I do want to do, I don't do. Spiritual maturity is recognizing that battle, and you realize, well, okay, oh, who's going to deliver me from this body that's creating havoc in my life? Well, look at what he says. Who will deliver me from this body 
of death. Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What's he saying here, George? Well, our frustration must give way to the grace of Jesus Christ. Remember I told you, spiritual maturity is recognizing that this struggle is real. It's there, everywhere. And, in your, and here's the other thing. Can I be honest with you? Spiritual maturity is realizing we all struggle. It's not just you. So when you recognize this is the ongoing struggle, here's what I'm saying. That frustration with yourself has to give way to what? Grace. It has to give way to the reality of Jesus. Who what? Forgives. Restores. And guides you on. Well, how often does he do that? Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Do you understand? It's you get up and you keep going on. And you ask him to help you. And you say, when will I overcome it? Sometime. I don't know how, when, or how. You know, I look back, I've been a believer since 1985, so we're looking at almost here 40 years. So it's, it's been 38 years now that I have walked with Jesus, and I can admit to you that there are sins from my earlier years that are gone. I have no more desire for them. But I'll also admit to you that in 38 years, there are still some other sins that I am still wrestling with and struggling with it and God helped me with them and he is and grace is there and, and the reality is is that in his time as he makes me into the person that I'm supposed to be one more sin gets knocked off now I can't say it's every week I can't even tell you it's every year but eventually it's all going to be done away with why because like Peter says we'll lay off these tabernacles and we'll receive a new one. A perfect one. And the battle will be over. I've said for years, I've said this for years, I've told some people this, that I look forward, I'm not being morbid, I look forward to the day when I go to be with Jesus. Why? Because the battle will be over. The struggle will end. The desire to do what's wrong will be gone. Because I'll be with Jesus. And I'll be perfect. You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, I think we need to first of all realize what it means for our own lives. Quit living in defeat. Yes, the battle is real. Keep waging it. Keep moving on. So realize that. Recognize where you are. Keep going on. But there's a second thing I want to emphasize, and that's this with each other. Part of being a church, being a church isn't attending a service here. If that's all church is, you've missed it. Being a church 
is the people of God coming together to what? And stir each other on to love and good works. To stir each other on into growth. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think one of the first places you have to begin with if you're going to stir each other on is to recognize that we're all struggling with something. Now, we don't walk around with a t-shirt that says, this is my problem, although some people do. Because we all know that, right? And recognizing that, we should what? Stir each other on to what? Keep pressing on. Keep doing what you need to do. Keep holding on to Jesus. Keep moving forward. Will there be setbacks? Yes. But we need to be there for each other. And one day, can I be honest, I've become convinced that one day, you know, when we go to be with Jesus, you've heard it said that we'll hear from him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm going to be honest with you, in the earlier years when I heard that, it's going to be well done. Look at all that you've achieved for Jesus. Wow, well done. No, no, no. I've, I've come, become convinced now from reading the scriptures that I'm going to hear that not just for what I accomplished for him. A lot of it, I don't even realize what I'm accomplishing for him. I'm going to hear it because I overcame by the blood of the Lamb. Do you understand? I endured to the end. I hung on in faith. I moved forward in my life. I didn't get defeated and I didn't give up. And that's what some people do. It's like, forget it. I'm not, I'm just, I can't do this. No, no, no. I hung on. And that's what we're here for is to help each other hang on through the struggle. That's what church is. That's what he'll say when he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. How do I know that? Go to the letters to the seven churches at the end of every one of the letters. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says of the churches. He says to him who overcomes, I will give this. He gives seven promises because they overcame. So hang in there. Doing what you shouldn't be doing? Stop. I'm trying. Keep going. Hang on. It's a struggle. But you have Jesus. Realize that. Let me pray for you.